This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. folks and welcome to the darker days podcast episode number six i am your host vince along with my co-host that needs no introduction refreshing finger mark mark how you doing tonight i'm doing great vince how you doing i'm wonderful and uh as a special treat mark who do we have uh hanging out with us today uh we have none other than matt mcfarland uh of uh, White Wolf, um, freelancer, developer, and designer extraordinaire. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Glad to have you aboard this week. Uh, he's going to be uh, later on the show. We're going to have a little question, question and answer period, which we will ask him uh, some questions that we've devised and some questions that you have asked on the forums and via email. Speaking of email, Mark, what do you have in our mailbag this week? A bunch of emails in the, in the last couple of weeks. Um, first up, Alakov Gremthe. He's asked if we're going to be covering Demon the Fallen on the show. Um, we actually were going to do this tonight, uh, but uh, we decided to bump it down to the next show uh, to make room for our special interview with Matt. Um, so, uh, yeah, you'll be seeing that one in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, middle of August, I think that show is going out. Yeah, I, I definitely I love Demon. Uh, I can't tell you how much time I've spent playing demons and corrupting souls and Anyway, go on to the next letter. <laughs> the more the merrier. Um, Dan Boudet sends in his appreciation. Many thanks for that, Dan. Kind words. Much appreciated. Um, he's also suggested a cool format for our reviews in future, which could lend them some structure and uniformity, um, which might be good instead of just having me and Vince ramble incoherently at length. Um, there'll be a certain recognizable uh, pattern to them. So thanks for that, and we'll look at incorporating some ideas from that for our future reviews, and we do indeed have a whole bunch of them lined up for the next few shows. Well, I appreciate that outline. Uh, anything that can help us uh, convey what we're trying to say to the audience better than what we're doing is uh, appreciated. Oh, and by the yeah, way, you good. can uh, check us out at uh, darkerdays.tk. That's our official website, blog site for right now. Mark and I will be posting our thoughts and uh, our episode show notes on there. So that's darkerdays.t for Tom and then K. That's our site. Mark, what's our email address again? Uh, that's darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. So uh, drop your suggestions, your thoughts, uh, your praises, and your complaints right there. Oh, one um, more thing, Mark, I forgot to say. If you go to our blog site, you could vote for us uh, at Podcast Alley. There's a it's a site that rates and ranks all podcasts, and uh, we're in the uh, rankings, and we're moving up pretty quickly with all the votes, so I'd appreciate it if you go there, click on the link, and uh, vote for us. Okay, yeah, Mark, thanks to everyone who's voted. That's really cool. Um, also, thanks to uh, Galen Febich, who uh, mailed in with a suggestion for the name of our spooky news section. If you recall, a couple of episodes back, we decided that spooky news, while descriptive, didn't quite have that world of darkness edge to it. Uh, so Galen suggested yeah. calling it Network Zero or the secret frequency after the uh, compact from Hunter the Vigil that tries to make monsters public knowledge. Uh, we just love the secret frequency, so uh, we're going to adopt that from now on. Um, good stuff, Galen. Uh, and a first prize of one box of zombie fire ants is on its way to you now. Beware of the uh, chainsaw-wielding vampire delivering it, though. <laughs> Go Wolfman. Yes. Uh, also had another mail-in from Rosie, who's just managed to snag a copy of the Airsiers fragments. 
awesome book. Use that loads in Dark Ages games. So you're in for a treat with that one. Um, and also shouts out to Gehenna Heretic and Kearney Cinemortai, Helter Skelter, and Gaeth, our newest members at the forums. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining up. And yeah, the forums are really starting to pop up and boom. We have some people organizing some play-by-post games in the forums, and uh, we even have uh, Warlock2000 in our forums who is heading up a project for uh, a fan, I guess you want to call it a supplement, or maybe even a, a core book called The Fallen. That's the Angels thing, right? Uh, we he, I don't think he wants to refer to it as Angels. He's just right now quoting it as Fallen, so he gets mm-hmm. an official title for it. But he's hard at work with uh, some people, and he's uh, appreciates any feedback that anybody can give him on the uh, project. Fun, fun, fun. Okay. Okay, moving on then um, to uh, uh, leaving the mailbag to one side now uh, to uh, news from uh, White Wolf themselves. Looking over their website, we see there's uh, some more ready-made characters for download. Uh, this time they're for Werewolf, Promethean, and Changeling. Really handy if you're strapped for time and just want to have some ready-made characters to slot right into your game. Good stuff hey, I there. Wrote, I wrote some of those. Oh, did you? Oh, cool. <laughs> I wrote the, uh, the Promethean throng, actually. Oh, nice one. Uh, we like anything that's uh, quick and ready and easy to use. Big fans I, of that here. Good stuff. I, I, I find that as I'm getting older, it's, it's really uh, a godsend to be able to just grab ready-made characters and yes. say, yeah, you guys run into these people. Here you go. <laughs> so... It makes all the difference. Anything yeah. plug-and-play we appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, Mark. Um, yeah, but there's also some uh, more PDF bundles available uh, for Changeling and Scion. Uh, these are well worth checking out. There's some serious discounts to be had there, so uh, head on over and uh, and uh, spend a few dollars. There's also uh, some of those uh, SAS-style adventures uh, for Mage and World of Darkness Core. Uh, the uh, the core one uh, features ghosts, and that's actually available through the Game Trade magazine. Um, again, some good little adventures to slot into your game, so they're worth taking a look. Yeah, I noticed there was uh, also some uh, more Geist previews. More They're throwing Geist previews at us uh, faster than we can uh, download and look at them. Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, with Gen Con coming up in less than a month now, they're really uh, starting to push the Geist. Hopefully uh, we'll see a good book come out, and uh, we'll enjoy it. Looking forward check out our Geist preview in the previous show, episode number 5 uh, which also featured our guest host Rob from Bear Swarm. Hey Rob What's up Rob? Yeah Okay, and uh, I think that wraps up uh, any news. Anything you can tell us, Matt? Uh, White Wolf hiding in the back there? Huh? Oh, about what? About Geist? About books in general? Um, Anything we should look forward to? Oh, there's lots of stuff that you should look forward to. Unfortunately, <laughs> what I'm not privy to is the release schedule, so I can't say. I don't want to. I don't want to say, "Hey, you guys are going to really love, you know, Night Horrors Wolfsbane," and then find out that it's gotten, you know, delayed again. Ah. Um, <laughs> but no, actually, you guys are going to love uh, Night Horrors Wolfsbane. Um, that's you know the Night Horrors book that's coming out for Werewolf, and I wish I could give you a release date, and I can't. But I will say that it's got a chapter on one of the antagonists for Werewolf that really hasn't had a lot done with it yet, um, the uh, the Itagem. And mm. yeah, and uh, I had a lot of fun with that with that chapter. I wrote most of the uh, most of the establishing background and mechanics for that. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that one when that finally sees print. People get to get a chance to dig into it. Cool. I think some of the werewolf stuff has been some of the most original material with the new world of darkness. Really struck away from uh, the former incarnation of werewolf, and also away from a lot of the sort of the classic folkloric material. It's really carving a, a niche of its own. I think that's quite cool. 
Definitely. All right, uh, that should, do we have any other news, Mark, or is that all we have today? That'll keep us going for another couple of weeks, I think. All right, well, uh, well, Mark, uh, we'll move on to our new named segment, The Secret Frequency, and uh, I have a little special treat for you, Mark, to add to your segment. Let me just pull it up here for you. Ooh. Oh, scary children. <laughs> cool. So, welcome to the Secret Frequency, folks, our newly uh, renamed Spooky News section. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at the British Science Museum, or more specifically, its forgotten collection at Blythe House in London. It's here at Blythe House where exhibits are stored that are not currently on display to the public. In fact, some 95% of the Science Museum's collection is held in storage there. Now, there's nothing particularly spooky about that. Most museums have depositories where their excess exhibits are kept. But Blythe House is different. Most of the stuff that's stored at Blythe House originally came from the collection of one man, pharmacist and philanthropist Henry Wellcome. Uh, Welcome was fascinated by medicine, and he had a kind of interesting definition of medicine. He decided to find medicine as anything believed to protect you from harm. So this included science, of course, but also superstition, folklore, old wives' remedies, witchcraft. He studied them all, collected them all. And over time, uh, he lived from 1853 to 1936, over time, he amassed a collection of over 700,000 artifacts. And it's with his collection that the spooky begins. Mm. Simply put, Welcome's collection, which is the core of the material that's stored at Blythe House, is a cornucopia of the bizarre. Uh, here's a sampling of the kind of stuff this man gathered to give you an idea where we're going here. There are plenty of mundane, if odd, medical paraphernalia in the collection. You know, uh, collections of scalpels, tonsil guillotines, tools, uh, skull fragments used in studies of Neolithic trepanation. Uh, that's the practice of patching holes in skulls to remove evil spirits, by the way. Um, antidote cases and medicine chests that were used on famous adventurous expeditions to Everest or Brazil or the Antarctic. Thousands of jars of exotically strange natural medicines collected from around the world. And it's here that we start to get into cool world of darkness territory. These folk remedies are inscribed with names like East Indian Blistering Fly or Dragon's Blood. Now, in our world, they're probably just jars of goo. In the world of darkness, of course, they're more likely to be the real thing. Uh, and it goes on. Uh, racks filled with skulls from Tibet, torture devices. Uh, pain is a great healer, after all. Uh, Napoleon's toothbrush. Uh, no, I don't know what that's doing in there, either. Um... A set of tattoos sliced from the bodies of 19th century French soldiers, uh, quack medicines sold at 17th century traveling fairs, as well as real working vaccines, um, a medieval statue of Saint Apollinia, the patron saint of toothaches, um, ancient Sudanese carvings of feet, penises, and intestines. Uh, there's also an ancient Greek artifact known as the Asclepion. It features a shrine to Artemis and a sacrificial altar. The idea is you walk past the shrine, stop to read the inscriptions on tablets at the altar, then wash yourself and fall asleep in the sacred bath, hoping that Asclepios will visit you in your dreams and suggest a cure. The building that this outrageous collection is stored in, Blythe House, is no less fascinating. 
Uh, it was once a labyrinthine structure that housed the Victorian Post Office Savings Bank. Thousands of clerks working night and day uh, under the strictest of conditions. Uh, and it's since had all of its windows blacked out to preserve the relics of the collection within. So as a consequence, it's a dark, shadow-filled hulk, brimming with weird and wonderful relics from all across the world. And its own caretakers have been known to become lost in its halls. Now, you can visit the place, but, you know, it's not recommended. Especially if you get lost. Yeah, 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 totally. Not the place to take a school party, that's for sure. <laughs> so for the world of darkness, uh, putting it in context, we're looking at a Victorian philanthropist who collected occult paraphernalia from all over the world, amassing an enormous collection, most of which is now hidden away in a sprawling gothic estate. It just sounds like it was made for the world of darkness, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So for the purposes of gameplay, you'll want most of this stuff to be, you know, just odd bits and pieces. Mundane, but odd. Stuffed crocodiles, Egyptian scarabs, shrunken heads, that kind of thing. Uh, scattered amongst the bric-a-brac, however, will be a number of genuine supernatural nuggets of goodness. Now, exactly how you use this wealth of opportunity is up to you as a storyteller. For players of mage, it's almost too obvious. In fact, any game that focuses on the acquisition of occult lore will be able to make great use of Blythehouse. Uh, do the current curators know what they have locked away there? Is there perhaps a secretive order who watch over the house and its contents? Or a solitary keeper of lore, an old man who knows what secrets lie sleeping there, or even the ghost of Henry Welcome himself? For other games, you can really start to mix it up. Have it contain fetters for raids, mementos for geists, the, the skulls of the unquiet dead that must be located and put to rest. Um, maybe one of the shrunken heads is all that remains of an ancient vampire, and his descendants, his childer, or his enemies, want to retrieve it to compel him to reveal mysteries that he took into final death. You could have collections of relics, some of which are in storage at Blythe House, while others have been sent out to various museums for display like um, a mosaic of sacred carvings or a set of uh, matching statues or the like. So the characters would need to steal them from Blythehouse and then track down the museums that are currently displaying the rest of the collection. You could send characters into Blythehouse to get one of those tattoos that was cut off a soldier. Maybe it's a map or a, an ancient spell or a long-forgotten recipe for an arcane elixir. And maybe its original owner might still be out there looking to retrieve his missing slice of skin. Anyway, you get the idea. Um, a storehouse of mysteries just waiting to be plundered. Like everything else on the secret frequency, the coolest thing about it is the fact that it's all real. And uh, what's more, Blythe House themselves have recently started putting their collection up for viewing on the internet. Oh boy. Uh, now, we'll post the URL at our site, because it's one of those long, complicated links. Uh, and we'll put it on our forums as well, so you can take a look for yourself you'll see right away that what little I've described so far only scratches the surface. It is quite literally too big to encompass at a single sitting. So, dive on in, uh, wander its shadowed halls, and uh, who knows what you might find. You never know what's going to pop up out of the corners. Boop, no, kidding. Uh, <laughs> I could definitely see this being incorporated into a hunter's game. Mm. Definitely. Hunters have to go retrieve some artifact from the uh, the house, or they have to go investigate something that, that was missing from the house. Maybe the they get hired to track something down. I, I definitely could see this something that's been stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely cool. put into a game. It might even be put into a vampire game too. If you think about it. 
Well, what I like about it, it's a, you know, it's, it's a classic uh, gothic horror, almost a cliche, you know, the, the, the gothic museum containing ancient artifacts from around the world. Uh, but when you, when you go to the website and you look at the lists of things that are there, they're the kind of things that, you, you know, you can't make this kind of stuff up. I mean, Napoleon's toothbrush, the hell? Uh, a real uh, bizarre collection. Really fantastic stuff. He definitely had to brush his teeth too, Mark. You know that. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt, you have any input on the uh, the Lighthouse? Uh, only that. Another possibility for what some of those uh, art artifacts might be, just to throw Promethean in there, since that's, you know, kind of my baby in a lot of ways, is... Uh, mm. Uh, you know, any of those things could be a dormant Pandoran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, having a having a Promethean character walk in there, or indeed just get close enough to activate uh, those Pandorans, it takes on a different tone. Now we're out of you know subtle, uh, you know, creepy horror and into why are there monsters bursting out of those jars? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fun sometimes too. Definitely. So, yeah, and it's a, it's a right kind of evocative setting for it as well. That's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, um, it, we we'll post a link up in the forum, and uh, if, by all means, if you definitely use it for your story, let us know how you use it and what results you got from it. Mark and I really appreciate seeing that information. And if there's anybody living down in London who's managed to organize a visit to this place or, or is planning to do so in the future, you know, an on-site report from inside Blythe House would be fantastic. And I'm sure Mark would love to meet you there and uh, take the tour with you. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now we'll go back on to the meat of our show again. Uh, last week we did speak, or I should say last show we spoke about the Sabbat in general. Uh, we said we were going to speak a little bit more about it in this episode, as this is going to be part two of the second of our feature of the Sabbat. Uh, it's broken down into two main factions: the Inquisition and the Black Hand. We starting with the Inquisition, Mark. Yeah, um, the Inquisition uh, is a, a, a faction within the Sabbat, um, and they were established to root out infernalists originally and the path of evil revelations. Um, over time, they've become a political faction that roots out heretics in general. Um, they've had great success over recent years uh, within the. Uh, the uh, the vampire uh, setting, and have brought this. The success has brought the uh, Inquisition a degree of power that's out of keeping with its size, and it is indeed a formidable force uh, within the the sect as a whole. Now, the Inquisition allows storytellers to bring a degree of politics into your Sabbat game: um, conspiracies, paranoia, corruption, double dealing. Um, much like the real world Inquisition, uh, the Sabbat Inquisition can just accuse a vampire of heresy and infernalism, and there are a few who are going to stand up to oppose such an accusation. Um, they use torture, and when torture is an acceptable method of obtaining confessions or evidence, the actual proof is almost irrelevant. So there's plenty of reason to uh, to fear the Inquisition as a force uh, within the game. You know, most people think the Sabata can only be played as antagonist, and not don't realize that it can be a great PC character to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can you can set the characters up as members of the Inquisition. You don't need to just use them as your uh, quote-unquote bad guys. Um, mm-hmm. Set the characters on the path of trying to root out evil and heresy from within the Sabbat. 
uh, maybe the characters see themselves as people of great integrity and they want to struggle against the Inquisition's darker methods. Uh, maybe they don't care about the truth and they just want to set a few scores. Uh, maybe they want to restore integrity to the Inquisition and uh, save those who've been wrongly accused uh, from their fate. Now, for those storytellers who uh, feel like reflecting real-world politics, um, the Inquisition is a great tool for modeling the less savory aspects of the current war on terror, for example. You can have the Sabbat Inquisition carry out abductions, extraordinary renditions, interrogation, torture, etc., etc. Their mere accusation of heresy can be enough to ruin someone, irrespective of the truth. Um, and that said, you know, be aware that real-world politics can be a touchy topic for some players. So, you know, make sure that you know how your group is going to react to uh, thinly-veiled analogues of this kind before, uh, before you bring it to the table. Um, in a vampire game, one feature of the Inquisition that helps to make it memorable and uh, leave a strong impression is its small size. Um, originally, the Inquisition was only 15 strong. Now, it currently has about 30 members, so it's uh, far from a faceless organization. Its uh, small size means that its members will become known and recognizable over time. For the storyteller, this is a real bonus, as it means that you can develop strongly identifiable NPCs that your players will come to recognize over time. And this also gives the faction much more personality and uh, more impact than some uh, faceless goon squad. Right, Vince? Definitely. We gotta, it's always good to flush out some NPCs, especially for your game. Give them some flavor and some, some you know, added touch to the game. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, the Inquisition, it has uh, got a lot of power. Uh, it has the power to depose Sabbat bishops, archbishops, pack priests, and dukti. Uh, now, in-game, this makes them an excellent tool for shaking up the structure of the Chronicle. Um, for example, if, uh, if the storyteller wants to add some uncertainty and discontent into the game, you have a cell of Inquisitors turn up and start digging the dirt in the character's home city. Uh, now, the, you know, the cell need not even discover any heretics or infernalists there. Um, just through the course of their investigations, the Inquisition will leave no stone unturned. They may, um, may end up discovering other secrets. Um, so while the Inquisition may have no interest in these unrelated secrets, other members of the Sabbat in the city could find their lives completely changed by what is revealed. So you discover that your packed priest has got some dark secret not related to heresy uh, or infernalism, uh, yet this is you know, out in the open now. That's going to change the whole, the whole structure within the game. You definitely don't want the Inquisition knock on your door. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also makes a really cool structure for a nomadic chronicle. Uh, you know, you can cast the characters as members of an Inquisition cell and send them traveling across the globe, uh, hunting heretics and infernalists. Uh, you can have them tangle with bishops who resent their presence. Uh, give them long-running antagonists in the form of the Black Hand, which we'll get to in a second. Um, put them on the trail of an elusive master of the Path of Evil Revelations and have them chase him from one end of the world to the other. Gives you that archetypal uh, big bad evil guy to, uh, to, to fuel the campaign. Definitely. Now, although it's tempting to cast the Inquisition as, as I said before, the bad guys of the Sabbat, they're much more complex than that. Uh, they're a group who has to take strong measures in the face of an insidious foe. Although they stoop to terrible methods in that struggle, such is the nature of the war they wage, 
When compared with the Infernal, they are the lesser of two evils. Any chronicle featuring the Inquisition should be sure to play up that comparison. It's a literal representation of the old maxim from Vampire the Masquerade, namely, monsters we are, less monsters we become. Very interesting, Mark. Uh, I definitely have to say this is uh, something worthwhile looking into playing, and uh, people should enjoy playing this. About. I know a lot of people don't like playing them, but I did remember speaking to someone on one of our forums that had been involved in a uh, a LARP for the Sabbat. I, I don't remember his name offhand, and I do apologize. You don't happen to remember mm. his name, Mark, right? Uh, it, it, it slipped my mind, but yeah, I mean that you know that's the, the the central idea of this two-part feature is to take the Sabbat out of the stereotypical mold of you know a crazy biker vampires and uh, and really lay out their their color and their culture and their complexity to to give storytellers. Uh, cool hooks to hang their games on. Correct. Now, we mentioned the, the Black Hand a minute ago. Vince, maybe you want to pick up a little bit on them. Well, the Black Hand is basically the military force within the Sabbat, a sect within a sect. They're like an elite group of warriors. Think uh, like special forces of the Sabbat. Mm. Think like Rambo or uh, Chuck Norris from Delta Force. Uh, wouldn't that be a good <laughs> analogy, Mark? Pardon? Wouldn't that be a good analogy of what they might be considered, sort of? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the special forces types, uh, you know, include some of the most potent vampires in the sect. Right, they're going to cover. They're going to carry out the covert operations, the assassinations, the intelligence stuff, the outright warfare under anything behind under secret behind enemy lines. These are the guys that do it. Uh, the Black Hand are also big guns at the bot, so they should not be used very lightly. I mean, if you're going to bring these guys in, be prepared. These aren't the little guys in the camp in the uh, story. These are the big guns. Uh, pretty much. Um, they're ruled. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're ruled over by. Uh, oh, a seraphim. That's right. Who yeah, four powerful region. vampires. Any bishop who may call on them for aid, unless uh, such calls are not answered. I mean, the storyteller can use the uh, black hand in game for many purposes. Uh, Mark, what, have you used the black hand in game before? Yeah. Well, I mean. Uh, you, you can use them as antagonists, you know, but if you do so, it's not an easy choice. It's not the same as the Inquisition. Um, if the characters have fallen foul of the Black Hand, they're pretty much toast, you know. Um, you, know you could you could build a story arc around the pack being hunted by the Black Hand under certain circumstances. You know, maybe the characters try to expose or depose a corrupt bishop, who in turn fabricated evidence uh, against the characters. Um, accuse them of being infernalists or Camarilla sympathizers or something similar. Uh, maybe the characters really are those things, you know? Uh, but at any rate, it gives them a good reason to go on the run while being hunted by the elite agents of the Black Hand. But uh, use this kind of thing sparingly, you know? Um, if you're going to make them antagonists, you don't want the characters to maraud about the place kicking Black Hand ass the whole time. <laughs> uh, doing so, it dilutes the menace of the Hand. Uh, they're not mooks easily beaten. They are the best of the best, and characters should only come out on top through incredible skill uh, or outrageous luck. Uh, in such a case, yeah, you know, go with the old idea of more is less. Use the black hand sparingly, and that way it'll preserve their uh, their well-deserved reputation within your chronicle. Yeah, definitely. The black hand, when you bring the black hand in, that's going to be like... Uh, if you think of cartoons when the the bad guys is their last desperate step to come in, sweep in, try to clean things up, uh, may not be successful, but most of the time it is. 
Yeah, they're more likely going to feature as a as a for, force of nature that just sweeps into the Chronicle, uh, causing uproar and devastation, then sweeps out again, leaving ruin in their wake. Um, I think that's probably a better way to use them, you know, than uh, than antagonists for your characters. Uh, for example, the characters might be trying to sneak into a Camarilla stronghold when the Black Hand show up to mount an attack against the local prince. All hell breaks loose, you know, the PC's cover is blown, and they have to escape in the middle of an all-out war. Um, or they could be working for a bishop who's trying to persuade the Black Hand to lend him some of their warriors. And this, you know, this allows you to cast the Hand in a political role in the game. Uh, allows the storyteller to portray them as something other than uh, elite ninja vampires. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think the most enjoyable use of the Black Hand would be, of course, to have the characters join the sect. This is, this is no small matter. Easier said than done. Uh, the Black Hand recruits for life. When you join, you remember until final death. Uh, but if your players are keen on the idea, there are a few interesting ways to make such an event memorable. Um, one of them, much like the Sabbat as a whole, uh, the Black Hand has its own initiation rites. Uh, some of these are physical tests. Um, you know, walk on coals, um, endure moments of sunlight, endure combat against more powerful Black Hand members. Uh, so these could be covered in short, focused scenes that needn't take up your whole evening. Um, but their more drawn-out initiation rites uh, make for a full evening's play. There's one in particular has the probationary members hunted by experienced Black Hand agents. Uh, and the probationers need to evade capture for as long as possible or infiltrate a stronghold currently guarded by the Black Hand. And the better they do, the better their chances of being accepted into the sect. So this makes for, you know, an exciting, action-packed game. Uh, it also allows the storyteller to briefly use the Black Hand as antagonists against whom the uh, PCs must struggle and who the PCs must evade for the duration of the test. Um, and, of course, if the players just want to wreak havoc in the name of Cain, uh, there are also tests that require probationary members to demonstrate their powers of destruction on as large a scale as possible. Um, which is, you know, it's a fantastic excuse to ride into town on your Harley, fire up the chainsaw and cut loose on the Cain. Uh -huh. Buckets of blood and buckets are awesome all rolled into one. I like that chainsaw idea. Yeah, I wonder where I got that from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so uh, yeah, so there you have it. A brief look at the Sabbath. Uh, in two parts, from uh, from the Path of Enlightenment rituals and retai covered last episode to uh, factions like the Inquisition and the Black Hand, uh, you should have enough material to uh, make a Sabbat game stand out from the regular Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle. Uh, inhuman spirituality, sinister politics, and outright violence will combine to give the Sabbat their unique nature. So yeah, um, check it out. And uh, be sure to stop by the forums and let us know how your Sabbat games turn out. Definitely. Just drop by darkerdays.tk and there's a link to the forums. Jump right in there, sign up, and uh, let us know how the Sabbat worked for you. I definitely can see, uh, I personally would be able to use the whole promotionary, uh, promotionary members uh, of the Black Hand, like, you know, trying to uh, prove themselves, and that'd be a good, that'd be a good couple scenes I can run with that. Well, it's the most fun, isn't it? You know, it's the obvious, uh, the obvious choice for the Sabbat is to, for the Black Hand is to get your characters into it, uh, and yeah, it's it's a ready-made uh, evening of or two of play. Some nice torture and uh, oh, anyway. <laughs> well, that ends uh, the whole feature for this week, and now we're going on to our interview segment with Matt. If he hasn't fallen asleep back there, no, I'm kidding, Matt. You still there? I'm still here. <laughs> you have any I'm words of awake. wisdom about the Black Hand? 
Say it again. Do you have any words of wisdom about the black hand for us? Oh, uh, old world of darkness stuff. Um, <laughs> I, no, I only say that because um, I've I've been writing new world of darkness stuff for like you know what the next last five years or so, and so I haven't I haven't been in that mindset. Um, I really didn't do a lot uh, with the Sabbat when I when I ran Masquerade. Um, and so most of what I remember about the Black Hand actually comes from Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand. Remember that book? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to do a special um, feature on that. It's a fantastic book. <laughs> I, I actually, I mean, that, that book is kind of like the butt of a lot of jokes, but I thought, I thought that it actually had some, some redeeming value. And probably my favorite vampire character that I ever played was a Trebuja. So, yeah, you know, cool. I, I, yeah, I can't. So, so in answer to your question, no, I don't have any particular insight of the Black Hand. But, yeah, I got lots of use out of Dirty Secrets. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, I did too. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah. So, um, to go on to uh, the uh, question answer period, you have been working with White Wolf since '99, correct? Yep. And that's on and off, not just straight. You originally worked for them, and then you became a freelancer for them. I originally was no. I started out as a freelancer for them, oh. and then they hired me to be the Dark Ages developer. Uh, in 2001, and then I worked um, until Dark Ages ended, uh, when the Old World of Darkness ended, and mm-hmm. then I've been a freelancer uh, ever since. Now, when the Old World of Darkness ended, did you feel a sadness for it, or you were just like, eh, I'll move on, and New World of Darkness is going to be my new home? Um, well, the Old World of Darkness, in in my opinion, needed to end. It had gotten to the point that there was just so much going on, and as a writer, I will tell you, it was just really hard to, to keep everything straight, especially mm-hmm. since the old world of darkness didn't have this kind of toolbox sensibility that the new world of darkness does. Right. And that is, you know, if, if a vampire book comes out and, you know, the Prince of Des Moines dies, uh, you know, four books later, I'm expected to remember that. And that's just, yeah. you know, a surreal amount of, of backstory and information and, you know, it was just really hard to keep straight. Now, all of that said, um, absolutely, there was some, you know, there was, there was some bittersweet going on uh, mm-hmm. when, the, when the World of Darkness ended. Um, you know, I had run all of those games, and I had a lot of fondness for them, for, uh, for Werewolf, the Apocalypse in particular. And, um, you know, there was, when we were starting over, there was some, some trepidation, I think. You know, how well is this going to work? You know how much of our of what we've done is going to bleed in. How much can we afford to let bleed in? Mm-hmm. Um, but I I I really love the New World of Darkness. I love what we've done with it. I love um, just kind of how it's turned out. And so so no regrets. The uh, the old world was great. The new world's great. Um, everybody should be happy. That's our philosophy on the show as well. Yeah, best of both worlds. Yeah. Now, now your, your, okay, your work includes. Fine. Keys to the Supernal Tarot, uh, World of Darkness, Innocence, Ancient Mysteries, Bloodlines, Promethean, Midnight Road, Slasher, Asylum, the core books for Changeling and Werewolf. You know, the list goes on. So the first question is, uh, when do you find time to sleep? Um, well, <laughs> right now it's been a lot easier because I'm not. Uh, I don't. I don't have any contracts open at the moment. But um, yeah, for a while there, it really did seem like. Um, that was that was pretty much all I was doing. The other thing is too that I work full time, um, and I had nothing in the summer because I work at a at an elementary school. But um, all right, and I, yeah, and I have uh, and I have two little kids. So last year, you know, when I was 
you're, you're, I don't know. I don't know how I managed to find time to sleep and make my deadlines <laughs> and do everything else that I needed to do. But, mm. um, you do? but yeah, when you start listing off books like that, it's like, I, I don't know how I did. <laughs> Was that me? <laughs> I suspect there was a lot of coffee involved. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So, so how did you how did you discover White Wolf games? I mean, did, was that your first introduction to gaming? Did you play oh, no. other games before White Wolf? Um, I started I started role playing when I was I started playing role playing games. Let's say that when I was uh, about eleven, mm. and my first game was the Marvel superheroes game from TSR oh, cool. uh, that oh. my my mother bought me to keep my brother and I quiet on a family vacation, <laughs> and. Um, and I, I loved I loved superheroes anyway, and you know the the you know opportunity to create my own superheroes that was just awesome because I'd been doing that since I was in nursery school anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I started I started running that, and then years later, uh, when I was in college, I sort of branched out to other games, and one of the first ones that I picked up was a horror game from Mayfair called Chill. Chill, yeah. yeah, and uh, I love I love Chill still. It's one of my favorite games, and that was really my introduction to horror gaming. And I really kind of found a genre that I liked. In that, I think the first World of Darkness game. I think I played Vampire at a convention once, and I wasn't terribly impressed. But it didn't have anything to do with the Vampire. It was just that game wasn't especially well run. Yeah. And then and then my brother picked up Werewolf and ran that, and that was really awesome. And then. Uh, Wraith, the Oblivion, actually was the first World of Darkness game that I ran. Um, oh, cool! I, uh, I and I picked it up because it was it was just then coming out. It was uh, like summer of '94, mm-hmm. and um, I thought, well, this book doesn't have a thousand source books for it already. I can get in on the ground floor. And I didn't realize that White Wolf laces their books with crack. And so <laughs> when when you buy one, it doesn't matter which one you buy, you'll wind up buying more. So, you know, fast forward like a year and a half later and I've got every book for every line and you know, yes. just devouring the world of darkness. And um yeah, so I, I started running all of these different games and creating this kind of integrated world uh for my friends and then uh White Wolf had an all call um on their site looking for authors uh-huh. and I responded and that's and how that got started. Okay, so that was I mean, that was just sort of straight in. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Justin Achille took a, a remarkable chance, really, because he hired me for a for a fifty-five thousand word assignment on nothing more than like a, a a couple of pages of fiction that I turned in. Which, having like done this for a while, because at the time I didn't know any better, but, you know, done doing this, you know, for a few years now, I'm like, really, you're gonna. Hire, hire somebody for that much word count off. All right, all right, awesome. So, and this this is published fiction, or this is just something you'd, you'd written uh, um, it was something, at home? Or? I was uh, I was in college at the time, and I was um, I was taking I was in a creative writing class, and it was a novella that I was working on that I have not finished. Actually, um, I might I might go back to it someday. But it was hmm. it was about vampires, but it wasn't about masquerade vampires. I started writing it um, before I started playing masquerade. Yeah. And uh, it was it was decent, I think. Um, I'd have to reread it honestly because it's probably been about ten years since I've touched it. Wow. But um, but it, uh, it 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 did the trick, evidently. So yeah, right. yeah. Well, I mean, no 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 prior RPG credits. That's no. uh, that's that's quite a coup. Yeah. Now, uh, 
now Matt, take us from uh, when you're making a book, take us from the first step, the initial concept to the uh, publication. That was a little bit long answer, but when you're first working on the book, what are some of the steps you're taking to do this? Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, well, the first thing that will happen is that, of course, the book has to get approved, and I'm sure there's a process for that at White Wolf. I'm not part of that anymore, um, and I know it's changed. That's the reason I say that. Mm -hmm. But So the first contact that I would have with it if I'm developing the book would be that Ethan Skimp or Rich Thomas or someone comes to me and says, hey, we want to do, uh, we want to do a book about playing kids in the world of darkness. Um, so this was World of Darkness Innocence. Innocence, yeah. And... Um, you know, I we want you to develop it. Okay, so I, you know, Rich emailed me and asked me that, and I think I gave him a very enthusiastic yes. And so, um, so uh, I put together an outline uh, for the book, and I look for authors that I think would be able to do the subject matter justice. And you know, I, I emailed a bunch of people and said, "Hey, we're doing this book. You know, would you would you like a piece?" And then I divide up the word count in the book uh, to the authors. And typically what winds up happening is the authors wind up shooting a bunch of emails around, making sure everybody's on the same page. Um, when you have books that have sections that have a lot, of, a lot of things in them, a lot of antagonists or a lot of spells or a lot of you know, magic items or things like that, they tend to get divided up among a lot of writers. And in that case, it's a good idea to say, well, hey, I'm going to do this kind of spell or I'm going to do this kind of character um, so that you don't wind up getting repeats. So yeah. that's, that's part of that initial brainstorming process too. And then um, so the writers have anywhere from a couple of weeks to ideally a few months uh, to turn in a first draft. Um, the developer will send back red lines um, asking for revisions which can be as simple as here fix these typos to as involved as you know this whole 3,000 word section that you wrote doesn't work, cut it, rewrite it. Um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. I have had to do that to writers occasionally, and I hate doing it. I'm like, oh, I hate to do this to you, dude, but Ouch. it's got to yeah. go. And I never do that without saying, you know, without at least giving some suggestion, like here's a direction that I think you could consider going. Um, you know, and as a developer, I always try to make myself available to authors at any stage during the process because it really sucks to get that kind of red line back. I've, I've been there too. Hmm. Um, so the the name of the game is communication, communication. So uh, red lines go out to the authors. They have X amount of time to do those revisions and send in a final draft, um, at which point the developer uh, goes through the final draft, puts everything in order, um, makes sure that uh, everything is in internally consistent and makes sense, and then sends it on to, oh, and does art notes. Um, which is, you know, this is this is what I'm picturing for the full page pictures. This is what this, these are the sections that should get illustrations in the book, and we do that just by underlining little sections. Yeah, um, and then send it on to editing, and then also to production. And production at this point works their magic, and I've uh, I only have a vague idea of how production works. I know that they it's it's kind of the same idea as hiring authors, only they do it with artists. They divide up, you know, the the art pieces. Uh, right. amongst whatever artists they're going to use. And I'm sure that there's a process of brainstorming and revision that goes into that too, but I, you know, that's, not, that's not the part of the book that I'm ever involved in. Um, 
but then comes back from the editors and then layout gets it and puts everything into you know the right the right fonts and the right formats and integrates the art and then it all gets cooked down into a PDF and then I get back into the process because I look at the PDF and I say oh my god there's a glaring error fix this or um, more often hey this all looks awesome go yeah and the last the last yeah and the well the last thing that I do. Uh, that has any kind of real impact is I go through and I look for all the little page XX. Uh, <laughs> the infamous replace, XX. Yeah. Replace those with numbers, and hopefully they get actually replaced with numbers before the book goes to press. But uh, we all know that that sometimes does slip by people. I, I make no excuses for that. I just <laughs> I, I just acknowledge that it does happen. And anyway, then it gets a, it goes off to press, and you know, twelve weeks yeah. weeks later or so, we have a we have a book. There's always going to so be some type of error, no matter what you do, no matter how, sure. how many people look it over. There's always going to be that one kid, guy that looks at the book and goes, "Hey, look at that." That's right. Hopefully, they're polite about it. Yeah, hopefully. But, yeah. Well, what's interesting to me about this is. Uh, the, the picture I'm getting is that you you don't necessarily even need to be in the same country as these people. No, no, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, when so I was, the idea of people sitting together in, in a game studio and uh, with email and that's I mean that's that's past now. Well, um, so eighties. When <laughs> uh, when you but the difference though is that when you're doing a source book or a supplement, it's much easier. To, to do all of it over email because you don't need to have as much as intense of a brainstorming session because a lot of the initial decisions have already been made. But when a new game line is being created, um, then then yes, there are meetings. And I mean, I was I was in on the design process for uh, Werewolf the Forsaken and for uh, Mage the Awakening, and we did have meetings where we sat down said, you know, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to keep, this is what we're going to throw out. Right. Um, and actually, for, for ending the world of darkness and restarting the world of darkness in general, we had a huge, great big meeting in Atlanta, because I was still actually working for the company at the time. Um, and, yeah, I, I remember those very heated discussions uh, that went into trying to decide, you know, what direction the new world of darkness should take. That must and, have been fun. Uh, I, I don't know if fun is really the word side. It was it was it was interesting. It it really yeah. was. But you're talking about, you know, fifty people with some very different views mm. of fifty, oh my god. About wow. that. Um about that. It was about fifty yeah. people working for what at the time. I don't know if all of them were there, but yeah. And I mean, uh, it, yeah, it was it was interesting. Is that the main difference then between a core book and a supplement? You know, the the, the, the initial processes or were there um, yes, and uh, a core book is less is more likely to go through um, a more intense round of playtesting as well. Um, I mean, we introduce new mechanics in in source books fairly frequently, but the timetable doesn't usually allow for uh, the same intensity of playtesting. Whereas, like for example, right. I know for Geist, there were at least I think four or five different groups that uh, ran Geist games and. Uh, you know, playtested the mechanics and playtested the game. Yeah. Um, you know, before before the zero hour where it you know finally goes to press. Cool. All right. Now we've all seen this uh, on many of the books that we buy and all the books that we read. Can you just tell us briefly what the differences between an author or a designer or a developer would be? Since sure. you pretty much done them all. Yeah. Um, an author uh, writes and. The developer is the one who's 
coming up with the outline for the for the book and therefore is pretty much dictating what's going to go into it. Now, depending on the process or depending on the project and depending on the developer, that outline might be, you know, 20, 30 pages and be, you know, very detailed like, you know, you're you're going to do, you know, four bloodlines and I definitely want one of them to be, you know, from Timbuktu or whatever. Um, whereas like Keys to the Supernal Tarot didn't have an outline um, because I was talking to Ethan at one point and he mentioned the book and asked me if I knew anything about tarot and I said, I, I do actually. And said, well, how much of the book do you want? And I said, all of it, give me. <laughs> so, but because I've been doing this as long as I have, um, you know, Ethan didn't, we, we just talked about it on the phone for a while and he said, all right, go. So, um, so in that case, I was nominally the author, but, uh, you know, also did a lot of the conceptual work too. Um, but that's that's chiefly the difference that the developer is going to be really responsible for the book that comes out, and that means responsible for making sure that the authors are hewing to the the vision of the line. Um, you know, you're not going to find a vampire book about people flying around and wearing capes because that's just not uh, well, not colorful capes anyway. But um, <laughs> black you know, capes, yeah, black capes are fine. <laughs> but uh, you know that's because it's just you know the superhero thing. Despite what people say about superheroes with fangs, isn't really in the aesthetic for the game. No. Um, and uh, an author might write that, but you know it would be the developer who would let it slide through and go into print. Mm. Yeah. So you know the developer is kind of the buck stops here. So so when you're developing, I mean, what are, what are the main issues that you have to keep in mind? I mean, okay, what you've just mentioned about making sure that the uh, the authors meet the uh, the ideas or the uh, the aesthetic or the flow of the book, but I mean, do you have a, like an editorial direction? That, is there someone managing the game line, for example, or is there a White Wolf style guide that you've you've got to adhere to? Or um, there is a style guide. I'm trying to think how old it is, though. Um, there there is a style guide. I think that it hasn't been updated in a while, but it's still you know pretty much what we go by. Um, yeah. I have a I have a guide that I wrote when I was Dark Ages developer that I have since revised um, for New World of Darkness because I wound up doing uh, developing like a half a dozen books in the last year or two um, to send out to my authors and it goes through I mean just basic writing kinds of conventions you know when you're talking about you know vampires don't talk about them living that kind of little thing. Um, yeah. but but also <clears throat> uh, words to avoid. You know, we we try to avoid using the word dark unless we're literally uh. talking about lack of light because it's just been stripped of any real meaning because it's been yeah. used so much. Likewise, this is just my, one of my personal ones, but I don't like the word supernaturals used as mm -hmm. a, or used as a noun. I I right. don't like you know vampires, werewolves, and mages. They're all supernaturals. No, they're not. They're supernatural beings and. Okay, yeah, yeah. Conserving words is fine, but you can take the extra word because it sounds goofy otherwise. But um, so that's part of it. Um, just editorial, editorial kinds of things are a big part of, of being a developer because you're also you know the first pass editor, and then there's yeah. and editing is another process, part of the process. But you know the, the more typos you can strip out before it goes to editing, uh, the fewer typos will wind up in the book when it goes to print. Um, and then, too, uh, just practical things like making sure the book's coming in at word count, um, which I'm terrible at. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, 
yeah, ancient bloodlines especially was just way, 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 way over. But the good news is that the content got saved at the expense of some art that otherwise would have been really cool. But you know, so you you, you was, find this 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 stuff that's just too good to cut, that kind of thing. Yeah, I well, and I've just never gotten a, no matter how long I've done this, I've never gotten a good sense of how how many words go to a page. And part of that's because it varies game line to game line, and I can never keep it straight. So <laughs> I just. Just pretty much put the cool stuff in, and if I have to go back and cut words later, I do. If I have to go back and add words later, I can usually do that too. So, so that's part of the process uh, for development, um, author selection, yeah. uh, knowing who you can work with, and how to get the best uh, uh, drafts out of them. Um, so uh, you, you you mentioned you mentioned the uh, keys to the to the supernal tarot a minute ago. Uh, did you have to do a lot of research on uh, real-world tarot systems? I mean, you said that you you're familiar with them, or or did you feel that you could just break away from from you know established uh, um, uh, occult traditions and just d- kind of go crazy and make up your own for the game? Well, I knew how I used to read tarot, and I know mm. how uh, I know I know the kind of the theory behind it, and I knew a couple of different styles of reading tarot, and I collect tarot decks, and I've got probably two dozen decks. I could could go to for inspiration and symbolism and so forth. But what I didn't know going into the book was a lot of the history uh, behind the tarot. And so that was the bulk of the research that I did was um, because I was I was under the impression that it was, you know, the the tarot that informed, you know, the the uh, four suits in the standard deck of playing cards. What's actually closer to the truth to say it's the other way around. Right. Um, And I didn't know that. So I I grabbed a bunch of books on tarot from my, my local library and uh, spent a couple of weeks in, you know, learning about the history of the tarot and uh, let that, I mean, and that was for a comparatively small section of the book because I only spend a little bit of time in the introduction talking about the history of the tarot, but I wanted, I, did, I don't like to make assertions if I don't know what I'm talking about. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't sweat it too much for a role-playing game book because, honestly, it's not meant to be, you know, 100% factually accurate. There are vampires running around, for God's sake. But yeah. uh, but I, I, I do like to, you know... I, one, of the, one of the old Dark Ages books made some uh, comment about uh, Oxford University being in London. And it yes. wasn't... Yeah, well, and see, and if you read the paragraph, it's actually more of a badly phrased sentence than it is, like, an actual, you know, assertion, but it still bugged me. So, we still have book burnings about that over here, you know. Yeah, well, we read the book again and take a black marker and black out that. So just like cross out, cross out London and write in, you know, Glasgow or wherever Oxford University actually. Is. <laughs> so, haha, can't 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 burn down my house. It's in Ohio. Um, so, I'm in the United States. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, but what do you care? Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> so anyway, so. So that was the bulk of the of the real world research that I did, and then because of the nature of that book, which was you know twenty two separate uh, sections, um, I don't know. I wound up doing uh, some some light research on some of the other uh, topics that I was talking about, but a lot of that was yeah was as you say was just stuff I was making up. Cool. Which is the easier way to go about it. Yeah. Well, staying with Mage, the Awakening for a minute. Um, sure. The game line went through a you know 
earlier in its in its run went through a, a period of being criticised mainly on the internet yeah. of, uh, for placing a little bit too much emphasis on the old Atlantis myth. Wow. Uh, did, yeah, I know. Uh, did you feel this influenced your work on the Supernal Tarot book? You know, I mean, did you feel pressured by this to de-emphasize Atlantis at all, or um, did you feel like you had to include it? Uh, well, I felt like I had to include it definitely because whether you like it or not, it's an established part, part of setting. the game. And exactly. yeah, if I go writing a source book and I never talk about Atlantis at all, you know, I'm really doing a disservice to the core book. Um, and now, on the other hand, uh, I don't. I yes, the Atlantis bit of the setting gets criticized on the internet, but as you say, that's on the internet. Yeah. Um, I've run a lot of mage, a lot of mage, and I don't have any players who came into it saying, oh, the, this Atlantis thing, that really kind of sucks. You know, well, I... You know, so I sorry, so, yeah, I was just... Uh, no, I, didn't, I didn't feel pressured not to include it. I didn't feel pressured to include it. I included references to Atlantis where I thought it was appropriate and where I thought it would, it would enhance what I was doing with the material, but... Yeah. You know, I mean, and I get people's uh, reactions to it. I suppose I just, I don't, I don't have those. I don't have that reaction to it. I don't, I don't see Atlantis and think Disney. So. Well, it struck me in in Vampire um, the Masquerade. You know, you had the first city, which was mm-hmm. drowned in the flood, and it worked fair enough for Vampire. So I don't see why it can't work for Mage. Okay. Well, and the thing of it is too. I think that, I think that as written in Mage. If you're going to run a game of Mage and you're going to include Atlantis as anything substantial in the setting, you kind of have to make some decisions about what Atlantis was and what yeah. role you want it to fill in the game. When I've run Mage and the characters have gone to Atlantean temples, it's taken on a real kind of tomb-robbing uh, feel to it. And you know the players or the characters know that they're meddling with some really powerful forces that they probably don't fully understand, even if they are awakened. And yes, it's possible that their forebears built these temples, but we're well past that now. And so is your modern experience really preparing you to delve into these ancient secrets? To me, that's very in theme for Mage. Excellent. I particularly liked uh, was it sequence of secrets of the ruined temple where the, yes. with all the variants takes the yes. one based on on Philip K Dick's Valis books mm-hmm. just blew me away oh, it was fantastic a yeah, really really cool. nice bit of inspiration yeah okay well I'm just moving along uh, Promethean Yay. now that's been met with solid acclaim by the fans the White Wolf fans and uh, it's very popular it's only a limited line though I just want to know what you think accounts for his popularity it seems like this is like a first. For White Wolf, like I think maybe because it's a fresh subject, something different than what the norm is, is that maybe what's accounting for its popularity? Probably. Um, it was it was the first um, the first game for the New World of Darkness that didn't have an Old World of Darkness antecedent, um, and I think that I think that, that probably uh, definitely turned some heads. But Prometheans just, in my opinion, a really solid game on its own steam. Um, I'm. I love Promethean. It's, it's, I don't know if it's my favorite of the New World of Darkness games, but that's just because I like them all so much. <laughs> but, um, but I really, I'm, I'm a humanist at heart, and uh, Promethean's a very humanistic game. And it's, I, I like the idea of having all of this power and really wanting not that, but wanting to be part of the world. And to be human, that's that's very appealing to me. Um, I think that outside of that, though, 
the the mood of body horror, you know, looking at things like Blue Velvet and yes. um, and May was one of one of my other favorite Promethean inspiration movies. Uh, a horror movie called May that uh, was was very gruesome and uh, and contributed a lot, I think, to to a lot of my vision of the line. Um, so you know, that's there's there's that, and really there wasn't. That was present in a lot of the World of Darkness lines, but it was never really center stage. And then, you know, we really went for, for glimpses of the grotesque was the way it was phrased in the outline. And I remember reading that and going, oh, that'll be lots of fun to write. Uh, so, cool. yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah, beyond that, um, it's, it's also a game that really screams for taking the Chronicle on the road. Um, yeah. to the point that you know some people have actually said, well, you really can't run this in, in one place. And I always want to say, yes, you could, but the truth of the matter is that when I ran Promethean, it was a nomadic chronicle, so what do I know? But uh, So lots, lots of different things, but mostly cook, you know, going back to it's something that we hadn't done before, and I think that we, uh, we pulled it off nicely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, the... Uh, the the whole Frankenstein's monster thing is it's, it's very well known in fiction, but yeah, like you say, it was uh, it's not been done before by White Wolf, so that's very cool. Well, and, the, and the Golem as well is a is a, uh, and I know that mm-hmm. there was talk um, never while I was there, but there had been talk at White Wolf during the old World of Darkness of doing a Golem game. It just never really came together. Oh. and so I know, and uh, so and then the World of Darkness ended, and then uh, apparently I was not part of the initial. Uh, design process for Promethean. I was brought in after the outline and everything had already been put together and worked on the core book and then uh, developed the, the four source books. But, um, but, but that, yeah, the, the Frankenstein's monster, the golem, but also, I mean, it, it shades of mummy a little bit. You know, once you mm, get yeah. into the Os- Osirens, um, th- yeah, some definitely some uh, some classic archetypes there that would be hard to do a whole game about but really do have the place in the world of darkness. I think, too, the other fun thing about Promethean is, you know, if you're playing Promethean and it's, you know, your, your character plus four more, you could very easily be the only five Prometheans around at the moment. Right. And that's, that's a kind of isolation that's very hard to get uh, with the other games. Now, of course, it does make running a LARP a little harder, but that's not my problem. No, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, Camarilla. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, now, now, Matt, let's just say White Wolf contacts you and they say, Matt, we want you to develop a limited line game for us. Something that hasn't been done, something that's fresh. What would you, do, what would you recommend? What would you try to design? Oh, good grief. Uh, for the world of darkness, let's see. Um, well, you know, a year ago I would have said something to do with ghosts, but now, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, we're, that we're doing Geist. Um, wow. It's it's a hard question because yeah. a lot of what I would immediately think of doing has been covered either by um, either by the, the, the game lines like the major game lines or by supplements thereof. Um so even if you were talking about, you know, an immortal kind of thing, and you know, go to Highlander if you must, but I was, you know, I was I was thinking more like Dorian Gray kind of thing. Well, we did World of Darkness Immortals. Um, yeah. 
So I don't know, honestly. If, <laughs> if, if White Wolf came to me today and said, "What what what else do you want to do? What what could we do that we haven't done already?" Um, I I guess you know one of my thoughts would be, "Have you considered uh, a superheroes game? Get out of the <laughs> I don't know. I know. Wow. But uh, yeah, I I. I'm I'm looking right now. I'm standing in my office and I'm looking at um, you know my my wall of New World of Darkness books and thinking you know wow there really is so much in there. Uh, what else could could we do? Something based on angels might be kind of fun. I've always said there should have been something. Yeah, but the, the, the problem with that is that I'm not and I'm not saying this would prevent me from doing it, but it would just be like it would make for some lively debates during the brainstorming phase. Mm. Um, if you're playing an angel, the first question that you have to ask is, what is an angel? And we kind of do this with yeah. World of Darkness Inferno. If you're doing a book about demons, what is a demon? And yeah. because the World of Darkness does not assume uh, any particular religious or spiritual backdrop, um, angel and demon don't necessarily mean what a lot of people think they do. And the, the trick that you have there is, how do I make a game that is iconic enough that you know you can just hook in and make a character without you know having to read a 400 page book um, <clears throat> all the way through but yet doesn't pigeonhole me into playing or into redefining the cosmology of my world of darkness to follow one particular spiritual belief system because as a storyteller I can tell you that would annoy the heck out of me so so I don't know again again it's by no means an insurmountable obstacle but it would be it would certainly be something that we'd fight over uh, during design I think now of course that might make for a more interesting game at the end of the day but, designer uh, yeah. is the evil game no I don't know <laughs> well we did slasher that's the thing you know um, that's so, a fun one yeah yeah I slasher was lots of fun so, like I said, something something angelic might be might be interesting. I admit that I have I enjoy playing the good guys when I'm actually role playing, and especially in a setting like World of Darkness, where um, everything is basically hostile to you. Um, it's it's fun to play somebody with some integrity, in my opinion. But yeah, you know. All right. So I no, guess uh, the next question to be asking you is what World of Darkness games you're currently playing in right now. Ah, um, I'm not playing just at the moment. Uh, I'm running a monthly Changeling the Lost game. Um, I run one-shots periodically. I'm actually running Mage uh, this weekend. Um, up until recently, I was running a Mage game, um, planning on starting a Vampire the Requiem game in fall. Uh, I'm always running something in New World of Darkness. Um, I, I think that it's important if you're going to write this stuff that you are familiar with a how the systems work, but you know b the the material that's already out there. And I mean I'm not going to say that I know everything backwards and forwards because I'd be lying, and it'd be really obvious that I'd be lying because there's you know millions of words. Uh, and the other thing is too that in no chronicle could you include even a fraction of the stuff that's out there. But no. um, just just as far as getting getting the feel right, I think it's important to to play it, to run yeah. it, to play it, to love it. Uh, do, you, I mean, do you play any uh, non-World of Darkness games? Um, uh, yep. Uh, presently I'm running a game called Age of Midnight, which is a noir-themed game with nice. magic and big gray monsters. Yeah, Edge of Midnight is a lot of fun. I picked it up at uh, Gen Con last year. 
on someone's recommendation. I don't remember whose, but I, I, I love the noir genre of film, so I thought, oh, well, this, this could be interesting. And started paging through it, and the game just really jumped up and said, you're running me now. So I, um, we, we finished up whatever it is that we were, I think we were playing Deadlands before that. So I said, all right, this is next. And uh, my cool. players are really having a lot of fun with it. Do you, do you have a favorite uh, amongst the games that are not made by White Wolf? No. Something that's really stuck with you over the years? Or? Chill. Uh, Chill, not, eh? Yeah, not playing it presently, but um, one of definitely one of my favorite games. Uh, Dread, also. Um, one with Jenga. Yes. Yes, that's that. great. There's also, there's also a game called uh, Dread, the first book of Pandemonium, which, Pandemonium I not, yeah. which I have not played, so I don't know anything about that. But Dread is, uh, yeah, from, from Windmill Games now. Uh, yeah, uses Jenga as the task resolution, and um, while it's not the sort of thing that you play a long chronicle in by itself, it's a really awesome and intense and fun game to play. Yeah, it's fantastic for a creepy evening of yes, play. Definitely. So, are you involved uh, with uh, the White Wolf Online that we had spoke about in the first couple episodes at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably more than I do. Oh god! Well, we made all these we made all these bold promises about how we were going to cover it every show, and then we oh. got through all our material in like one episode, <laughs> like a half an episode. I, <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm not a I'm not a a, a fan of of uh, online gaming per se, mm. and so um, I you know I mean I so I don't know I don't know where where that is in the development process. I know that a lot of very talented people are working on it, um, but I. I don't know anything that I can tell you other than that. No. We've got to keep hunting for that then. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Geist just a minute ago. Uh, we had a couple of uh, a couple of questions got thrown us thrown away on the forums, rules-based questions about Geist, actually. Okay. just wanted to, to just drop those in right quick. Um, uh, sin Eaters, do, do they die of old age? Um, good question. Uh, one of the things that we talked about uh, earlier on in kind of the concept stage of Geist was the notion of that once you make the bargain, you have a finite number of years to live, 100 years, 90 years, something like that. I really liked that idea. Um, yeah. I liked the idea of Geist's, or of Sin Eaters having an expiration date. Um, it was not something that we kept uh, for the book, I don't think. But um, but so can a, Geist die, can a Sin Eater die of old age? Uh <laughs> If I were running the game, let's do it this way. If I were mm. running the game, it would probably never come up. But because um, honestly, how many chronicles go? You know, that many years of, of game time. That's but true. If if I were running the game, should, would it be possible? Sure, it would depend on the sin eater and it would depend on the geist. Um, but the geist doesn't stop your body from aging. As far as I remember, now watch. I'm going to say that, then I'm going to open up my PDF and oh look, it's right there. Yeah, page <laughs> XX. But uh, <laughs> but um, no, I don't. I don't think the guy the guy stops your body from aging. And with that in mind, yes, it would seem like eventually you're going to wind down. But yeah. consider though that a geist is not a vampire, and so even if you don't age, even if you just continue on. Um, it would be very much in theme for the party to finally end and for you to think, yeah. you know, I have, I have drunk all I'm ever going to want to drink. I have been to every feast I'm ever going to want to go to. I have, I have seen what I want to see, and now it's time for me to enter that Avernian gate and move on. And at that yeah. point, what does your geist say? Does your geist say, all right, hey, it's been great riding with you. See you around. Does, does your geist say, no, 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 you're still mine. <laughs> I'm not done. Yeah. 
<laughs> so there's your antagonist. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, another question about that. Uh, when uh, Sinita first makes the bargain with a geist, um, is that death shunted onto another person like it is when a geist brings his host back to life, say when uh, they die a second or third time? No, I don't think so. But right. uh, I could very easily see that being a, uh, a really cool character bit uh, mm. for someone's character. Um, so, so officially, no, but you have my endorsement to do that if that would make for <laughs> for a for a uh, for a better it's an interesting idea yeah. yeah absolutely cool now just kind of returning stepping back a bit from the, from from white wolf and, and and you know individual games um you know we've all seen it happening around us uh, gaming stores are closing uh, gaming companies are you know reducing their output or they're closing down um are you, are you concerned about this apparent decline in the role-playing games industry at the moment? Has, has it affected you at all? Um, has it affected me at all? Well, uh, like I said, I don't have any open contracts at the moment. Um, <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, I, I knew even, even several years ago before you know, the recession really got bad and before a lot of this decline, I mean, it was already happening, but you know, it hadn't gotten as bad yet, that this was not a field that I wanted to stay in um, as my primary career. Yeah. And so I got out. And so uh, so has it affected me? Sure, it propelled me out of uh, RPGs as my primary career and into uh, speech pathology, which is where I am and where I'll be for the foreseeable future. Um, speech mythology, yep, you say? I'm, uh, speech What's pathology. that? I'm, I'm a uh, speech therapist at a okay, elementary right. school in Cleveland. Um, so, worst case scenario, you know, all of the major companies go out of business. Um, there's a lot of backstock out there, and it's not going to stop people from getting into gaming. The truth no. of the matter is that uh, once you've been playing for a while, you don't really need the books anymore. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody, the, the companies don't want you to, to acknowledge that, maybe, but no, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, I've known for quite some time that I could be I could I could run games for the rest of my life with you know the stuff on just one of my shelves, but I can yeah. tell you that when I go to Gen Con, I'm going to buy more games because I love yeah. games. <laughs> but um, uh, but if if everybody went out of business and nobody could ever sell another RPG ever, uh, we'd still be able to. I mean, people would still be writing up their own stuff and posting it on the internet. Yeah, and it would still be out there. So, what does it mean for the hobby? I think that. I think that there are some cultural shifts that have happened since Dungeons and Dragons uh, hit in the 70s that have made pen and paper role-playing game a bit more of a buy-in, a different kind of buy-in for players, um, not just with money, but with time and with effort. There's a lot of reading involved, there's a lot of time spent involved, and there are no you know, night elves to watch running around on screen. Um, <laughs> So is that a good or a bad thing? No, I mean, you know, times change, and that's yeah. fine. I can tell you, though, that uh, when, my, when my daughter gets a little bit older, not too much older, she's, she'll be five in, in November or in October, um, uh, we're, we're definitely going to sit down and maybe play some cat or uh, a game yeah. by, by oh, John yeah. Lake. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah, um, I think my, my kids are about the same age when we started. Yep. So, yeah, we pass it on. 
Yeah. Start off with some werewolf. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my daughter plays a silver dragon called Pink Strawberries, so oh, you can see perfect. where her uh, her focus is. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, White Wolf uh, seems to be uh, not a company out there that's struggling like the rest of them. Uh, why do you think that White Wolf is plunging ahead with uh, such popularity? What did you contribute that to? Uh, for one thing, I couldn't tell you with any degree of accuracy how how popular the games are, how well they're selling, because I don't have access to any of that data. Um, but as far as just appearances go, well, for one thing, they have a fan base and a niche that they've built up for a long time, um, you know, from Vampire the Masquerade on through. Uh, they have, you know, with the Camarilla, there's a worldwide organization that's playing their games. Um, and there's a lot of support. There's a there's a immensely dense, um, vibrant, well-defined world uh, for players to to immerse themselves in when they're playing these games, and that I think counts for a lot. Um, and I think that especially with the new world of darkness, there's been the benefit of you know all of the lessons learned and yes, mistakes made uh, in part from the old world of darkness. Um, that I think have really contributed to making some some really superior game lines. Now, what does the future hold? I haven't the faintest idea. Um, I don't know if uh, if White Wolf is going to retain uh, the popularity that they have, or if you know tastes are going to shift again. Um, I just know that. Uh, I'm I'm really proud of all the work that we've done, and if it ends tomorrow, it ends tomorrow. We've I've got no regrets. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean the company certainly, like you say, they certainly seem to have. Uh, uh, it's it's a brand as much as it is a, a series of game lines. Yeah. Um, now you know the other, the, well the the big player in the industry uh, is still uh, still Dungeons and Dragons, um, but. Uh, what what I find interesting is, you know, with a few exceptions, um, uh, World of Darkness fans, they don't seem to be drawn to or suffer from edition wars between Old World of Darkness and New World of Darkness. Uh, you know, okay, you've, you've always got Mage Flame Wars uh, to look back on fondly. But in general, uh, World of Darkness fans seem pretty happy to let each other enjoy their edition of choice. Um, now, it seems to me that's a, that's a far cry from the, the current troubles between... Uh, you know the the split fan base uh, that D and D is suffering from at the moment, um, and, and and although that's you know I guess a lot of press on the internet, um, you see it in 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 your local gaming groups as well. Um, why, why? I mean, do you have any thoughts on why World of Darkness fans are less antagonistic toward each other uh, over over issues of edition than say uh, um, say D and D players might be? It's a gross generalization, I know, but... Uh. Uh, yeah, it really is. Um, I was going to say, are they less antagonistic? It really depends on where you are. Um, with the understanding that I'm entirely talking out of my rear end here... Um, uh, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, again, I'm... I'm The only side of the industry I'm on is the writing side and the, and the you know, player-slash-consumer side, so I don't, I don't do the business end of things, but... Um, With, I think it's I think it's fair to say that with with White Wolf's games, uh, with the World of Darkness in particular, it was never about the game system. It was always about the world, and it was always about the setting. And so, I mean, people people like or dislike 
the system, but you don't you don't see people referring to we're going to play this game in the storytelling system as much as you see people referring to we're going to play this game with the D20 system. And Dungeons and Dragons by itself, and I've I've read I'm, I'm not a big fan of D and D, but I've you know I've read the the third edition and I've I've played fourth edition a little bit, and there's not really much of a setting attached to it, and so I think people will fight about what you give them to fight about, hmm. right? Um, and so sure, people argue about you know setting aspects of the World of Darkness and and system too, but. There, 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 I think that there was enough of a break between old world and new world that I mean they're really two different games with two different yeah, universes, two yeah. different systems, two different sets of assumptions. Whereas with D and D, there's not really an established setting, and you know you're talking about backwards compatibility and conversion and you know now a different set of assumptions because it really seems like in 4th edition they're trying to chase the you know the world of Warcraft fan and I don't know how well that's working out for them oh, yeah. um yeah so i think i think that probably contributes to it and again i mean you know i'm i'm quite happy to be wrong about any of this because i'm just spitballing yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah not the. I mean, I, I only have generalities to talk about because, you know, I I I don't I don't go to a lot of uh, you know D and D boards on the internet. And besides, even if I did, that's the internet. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Can't can't trust what people say on the internet. Wait, does this talk? No. Does this does this count as? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing is true. <laughs> well, let's move on to something you're a little bit more familiar with. Uh, okay. Yeah. Dark Ages. Thank you. <laughs> Dark Ages Vampire. Yes. Do you like it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> now, it has a very strong fan base. Uh, a lot of people play it. Uh, you did a lot of work on it. What are you most proud of from Dark Ages that you worked on, and uh, why? Dark Ages Fae. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Mm. There were, oh, I mean, and, and I would do it so differently if I had to do it over again, but at the same time, I love it. Uh, I I really loved Changeling the Dreaming, um, and I, I never felt, I kind of felt that it didn't get a fair shake in a lot of ways, and so, you know, when we started doing the, the fat splats for Dark Ages, you know, the Werewolf and Inquisitor and, and Mage and so forth, um, I really wanted to do one for, for Changeling, I wanted to do a Dark Ages Fey book, and I was really happy that we got the chance to do that before the line ended, and I really wish we could, could have gotten a companion or something, but, you know, say lovey. Um, but uh, Faye was really my first chance to do everything, you know, I mean, obviously not the core system because that came from, you know, Dark Ages Vampire, but, you know, the magic system and the background of the world and all of these different, you know, assumptions that, uh, that Faye made kind of from the ground up and... I had a, a really strong group of authors on that book, and you know, again, I mean, there, yes, absolutely, there are some things that I do differently, but um, but I was really happy with the way the uh, the finished product came out. It's very flexible. I was just looking at it the other day, and uh, it just struck me just uh, just the splats, the character types. There's only a, there's a tiny handful of them. Yeah, there's so much you can do with just those four or five. Uh, 
as four or five types. So it was very good. It was uh, one of the one of the goals really when we went in was because one of the problems that we had with changing the dreaming was that if you wanted to make up if you wanted to take a fairy creature that wasn't easily rec- uh, reproducible from one of the existing kits, you had to make a new one. Well, there was seventy some out there already. Yeah. Um, and so we really wanted to make a system where you could just build your character uh, from from the ground up, and um, and there was already some of that going on in Demon the Fallen. What with your you know your apocalyptic form, apocalyptic forms, yeah, um, which you know was was definitely this was all kind of happening blah within a few months of each other, and that was you know that was definitely uh, some some cross influence going on there. I round up roading, roading, good grief, coffee, <laughs> coffee, Matthew, coffee. Um, writing, I wound up writing um, the the section in Demon Player's Guide on expanded apocalyptic forms, and it was definitely helpful to have already done some of that uh, with um, with Faye. Uh, well, I mean, you know, like Vince says, the Dark Ages is it's still got a really strong fan base even to this day, uh, and it's you know it's mentioned and talked about with great affection by fans of Old World of Darkness and New World of Darkness alike. Um, why, why do you think it? What has made it endure for so long in people's hearts and minds? Do you think? Uh, Dark Ages. I'm sorry, I, I <laughs> had to deal with child issues for a moment there, and I, <laughs> That's I, cool. lost, that, I lost that question. Um, um, certainly, there's something very uh, appealing and romantic and evocative about the time period which was not actually the dark ages it was the middle ages but never mind that. yeah <laughs> um we, we know we know already uh but it was the first hold on it was the first historical setting that was done for the world of darkness i'm pretty sure yeah it was that one and then werewolf the wild west was the was the next one um and so, but vampire especially, vampires had this uh, kind of eternal vibe to them anyway. Because you know you meet a vampire in modern nights, and well, guy, this this guy's been around since you know the year one thousand or whatever. Um, it's very easy to then think, well, hey, you know, how about if we if we play through this story about when he was embraced or when he was just a neonate or whatever, and so just a historical setting in general lends itself well to uh, to vampire. And then from there, it's easy to extrapolate. Well, you know, if that's what the vampires were doing back then, well, what were the werewolves doing? Well, what was magic like back then before, yeah. you know, in the old world of darkness, before, you know, consensus changed so much? Um, so I think, that, uh, I think that Vampire of the Dark Ages just really hit a sweet spot and everything else kind of blossomed from there. It's fantastic. Yeah, I ran a really enjoyable, uh, uh, went on for 10 years actually, uh, Dark Ages campaign, starting with Vampire of the Dark Ages and then flipping over to Dark Ages Vampire. So, uh, yeah, I got a lot of love for the game, still do. Now, back in our uh, in our first show of uh, Darker Days Radio, um, we had a little feature where we looked at some of the rumors that were surrounding those unreleased Dark Ages books. Oh, yes. um, yeah, uh, we just trawled the internet and found all the kind of half-baked lies and innuendo that we could. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to confirm or deny any of those rumors. There were uh, there there were four books that were that were contracted. 
that were um, outlined, contracted, uh, were on the schedule um, for Dark Ages for the latter half of 2004 that were then taken off once it became clear that keeping that part of the old world of darkness just was not going to be viable. And I was, I understood why it had to happen. I, you know, I supported the decision. I was sad about it because I really did want to see those books get done. But I mean, again, that's, that's life. That's, that's how the publishing industry goes. And I mean, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to see the books come out and then not sold. Yeah. So, right. <clears throat> so the four books were, um, let's think, uh, we were going to do Dark Ages, Italy. Mm-hmm. That was contracted. We were going to do a book called Hallowed Ground, which, in a way, was uh, kind of like Mysterious Places, um, right. you know, for the New World of Darkness. It was, uh, but it was a collection of a whole bunch of kind of holy sites, you know, um, uh, cairns, and I'm trying to remember the Old World of Darkness terminology. I almost said loci, uh, cairns and nodes, and um, you know, holy sites for inquisitors and so forth. And there, were, I think, I think the way we set it up was there were going to be five each. Uh, for each of the five Dark Ages game lines. And then, let's see, what was that? That was Illy, Hologram. Oh, the Brujah Chronicle, mm-hmm. which oh, yeah. I was I was very sad to see go because I was actually in the middle of redlining that when uh, when the axe fell um, that was going to take people from, I think we started in uh, Thessalonica and went through Cyprus and went through uh, to the ruins of Carthage. And kind of oh, delved cool. into yeah, delved into the the history of of Clan Bruja and you know the split from from True Bruja to Bruja and you know the the Prince of Cyprus in the Dark Ages was a True Bruja, so I was excited to have Nehemiah make an appearance and uh, kind of a bummer. Um, and then the other one was called uh, the Darkening Sky, yeah. which was yeah about the about the eclipse, the eclipse mm. in May of twelve thirty. Um, and it was five uh, scenarios, one for each of the of the Dark Ages game lines, that centered around the eclipse, and then each one. And that was never written; that was contracted. And then it was not long after we contracted it that the you know that was canceled. So I never saw drafts for that. But um, that never that, that, that never got even to outline phase, or uh... no, I, I did outline it. I did outline it. Uh. I contracted. It. I contracted and outlined all four all four of those books. And unfortunately, I don't have the outlines anymore. I don't remember. I, I don't remember if I deleted them or if they were on a on a computer that that's hard that the hard drive died, or, but. Um, uh, but anyway, so I don't I don't have those. I wish I did because I I you know I'd post them, but. Mm. Um, no, but the, the, the Darkening Sky scenarios uh, were each going to have a, like, for instance, the one in, the one for Fae, I know kind of piggybacked off of the sample scenario that was actually in the Dark Ages Fae book. Um, so it was set in Scotland, I think. Uh, <clears throat> and, but, but in that section, there would have been uh, a little 2,000-word section that says, well, okay, if you want to run this scenario for vampires instead of for fey, here's how you do it. If you want to run it for werewolves, here's how you do it. If you want to run it for inquisitors or for mages, here's how you do it. And so the 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 book would have been, I mean, really mostly for storytellers, but we were trying to make sure that we put enough in there that there would be uh, some useful tidbits for, for anybody who would pick up and read it. And again, I was I was really sorry to see that one go because that was uh, that was a book that I was looking forward to. 
Right. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was, at least if I recall correctly, talk at the time that the Dark Ages line might endure uh, there was, for a little longer. But, that yeah. was the plan originally. And then, um, and then the folks at... Uh, uh, who were who were actually crunching the numbers and doing the part of the job that I have no affinity for at all? Um, <laughs> said uh, no, we're not. The distributors aren't ordering these, um, so we don't we don't think we can make enough money off them to to make them profitable. So yeah. we've got to really push the new world of darkness. Which and the other thing is too that I mean back then we were still talking about whether the new vampire game was still going to be called Vampire the Masquerade. I mean that's how much in flux everything was. Yeah, and so. The initial decision was to keep Dark Ages going, but that turned out not to be a good idea, and in retrospect, I agree. And the only thing that I regret is that if I had known that we were only going to have four books in 2004 instead of eight, I probably would have done some different books, because as much as I like the Dark Ages Inquisitor Companion, um, I would rather have done one for Faye. Right. Because I think that that that's the the line that really needed the support. Mm. Oh. Was there, I mean, again, I might be misremembering this, but I seem to recall hearing or reading about uh, an idea that that uh, the Dark Ages uh, universe was was going to be uh, conceptually at least split off from the Masquerade universe so that, you know, they weren't necessarily going to be in continuity with each other anymore. And there could have been a Dark Ages version of Gehenna that's not necessarily taking place in the year 2000 and whatever, but it was actually something that could take place in the Middle Ages. Uh, is that, am I completely off base there or...? Um, I don't know what you're talking about. So. Oh well. <laughs> there, 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 there certainly was some, especially with with the revised edition of Dark Ages Vampire. Um, there certainly was less emphasis on making sure that it synced up with Vampire the Masquerade, not because we didn't feel that that was necessary or was a good idea, but just because it wasn't feasible anymore. The world had gotten so vast that. Yeah saying, all right, well, you know, this guy was embraced in 1205, but then he dies in, you know, 1316 or whatever. Uh, God, no. And it's not like there's a, it's not like there's a, a chart somewhere, you know, I, I don't know what I was expecting when I went out to work for White Wolf, but I'm like, yeah, where, where do I get to know the, the grand truth behind everything? Well, the truth is, we're making this up as we go. So, you know, I... So keeping keeping it exactly in sync was not really viable, and there, we we kind of got more overt about saying that when Dark Ages Vampire came out. But yeah. I don't remember talking about doing an end times book for Dark Ages. Uh, that doesn't mean yeah, that I must have re- discussed, uh, but it, you know, this was several years ago and two kids ago now. So yeah, I must have read it on the internet and so decided it was true. So Stop spreading oh, rumors, Marvel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have two more questions for you, Matt, and then we'll let you go today. Okay. Uh, if you couldn't work on RPGs, what would you be happiest doing right now? Well, um, actually, I'm kind of doing uh, what I like yeah. to do. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working in uh, my, my second career, if you will, as a speech therapist, and I love it. Um, I work in, in a school in inner-city Cleveland, um, and I love it, love my kids, love my work. Uh, and I'm still writing. I'm just, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of sans contract, but that's, you know, just kind of near here nor there. Um, I was a writer before I got into uh, writing for RPGs, and I'm not going to stop. Hmm. And no. that's, I mean, that's, that's where I'm happy, but it's not the only place uh, that I'm happy. So what would I be happiest doing? Um, I'm doing it. 
I'm, I'm, I'm being a dad, and uh, that's kind of the most important thing to me. It's always yeah. the best thing. For final question: yeah. If you could be a household appliance, what would you be? <laughs> if I could be a household appliance, I would be a toaster oven. Why? Absolutely. Why? Because they are so far superior to toasters. All you can do with a toaster is make toast or Pop-Tarts, maybe a bagel if it's wide enough, but then you wind up with a burnt bagel. With a toaster oven, man, you can make, you know, dips. You can make, you can stick, you know, like stuff like manicotti in there. Mm. Ugh, the possibilities are endless. Just like World of Darkness, the possibilities are endless. Exactly. World of Darkness is a toaster oven. Wait, wow. go. That should be the new tagline. <laughs> World of Darkness is a toaster oven. The Adventures. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Matt, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, thank um, you so much for taking the time to, to listen to all our questions. Uh, it's a great answers. That was a very enjoyable interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. And maybe we'll check in with you uh, maybe sometime down the line, see what else you're working on. Maybe you can give us a little hints of what's happening or... Whatever, okay. on a special episode of uh, the Darker Days podcast. By the way, the darkerdays.tk is our website. And uh, our email address, Mark, one more time? Darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Okay, and what do we have coming up next week, Mark? Uh, reviews, reviews, uh, and some reviews. Uh, we're going to take a look at Summoners for Mage of the Awakening and Second Sight for New World of Darkness. Um, and there's also going to be a feature on Demon the Fallen. Mm. Um, and uh, through popular demand, we're going to roll out the first of our advice sections on running World of Darkness games um, with a look at uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the the Troika system of adventure design that was first featured way back in the digital web source book for Mage of the Ascension and the, uh, the Chronicle Tome idea, uh, an interesting method of uh, gathering your notes together and getting them prepped for the game. Stay tuned. All right, this is Vince from Mark saying good night, everybody.